answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus left. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, <coughs> you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, or the, yeah, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off your grave clothes and let him go. Yeah, what a profound story. What a beautiful story. Again, the seventh miracle that Jesus does in the Gospel of John gives such a, 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 a great image. But there's something that happens in the midst of this that, that really is, you know, again, we, we kind of started with those funny gifts, but it's really bad timing by Jesus, right? Like when you read this initially, um, you're thinking that not only is it kind of accidental bad timing, but it seems as if Jesus is a bit cold indifferent um he almost is ignoring the suffering of someone who again the bible says even in this passage it says in verse 5 that he loves them it says that he weeps over them it says in verse 36 that the, the one whom you loved right he loved this person one of the commentators called it i love this phrase an inhumane arbitrariness right like jesus is just kind of comes off very initially uh, kind of inhumane. And not only is it, you know, this bad timing, this inhumaneness, but it's life and death bad timing, right? Now, Jesus heals people who are blind, who are sick, who are paralyzed, who have various diseases. And like those kind of things, like, sure, we would like Jesus to be speeding on those. But this one is a life and death um, kind of, uh, a life and death bad timing. 
And if you read verses 13 and 14, there's this kind of phrase where he says to his disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there. And it almost kind of feels like, like, did you not want to be there? Right? Now, who does such a thing? Right? Who would be able to look at someone else in their pain and suffering and be like, uh, I'll, I'll be there. And like, I'm, I just got to finish up. You know, it's like, you know, you guys probably saw when, when my daughter split open her chin and we had to take her to the hospital and get stitches. Yeah, I'll be there in a little bit. I'm just finishing watching this episode of Seinfeld that I've seen four times. But, you know, go ahead, just just go bleed over there in the corner. Like, that is that is just the most absurd thought in, in our minds that Jesus would do such a thing. Um, now, think about this, too. Again, in this kind of life and death situation, right? I was... Uh, if a 10-year-old, my daughter just turned 11, Julie just turned 11, if a 10-year-old, my daughter, say a couple months ago, it's a really hard, I, I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to share this. If my daughter at 10 years old, riding her bike across the street, gets hit by a car, tragically dies, right? Uh, the, the amount of pain, and I don't know, I'm looking around, I don't think anybody in this room has lost a, the amount of pain of losing, say, that kind of age range of child, insurmountable. It would, it would absolutely wreck us. It would wreck this whole church community. It would wreck our family. In some senses, if that happens to you, you might never, ever recover, right? Now think about this. Add a zero to that age. And Julia is no longer 10, but she's 100. And maybe she's on one of those, like, those trike bikes, right? And again, she's riding across the street. She's 100 years old. And she happens to get hit by a car again. What's the difference there? She's had a full life. She's had a full life. Timing, right? It's just timing, right? And in those scenarios, the 10-year-old scenario versus 100-year-old scenario, there's, there's no real correlation for the amount of pain and loss uh, and hurt that you would experience, right? She lived a full and fantastic life, right? The 10-year-old scenario, man... I was looking forward to my daughter graduating high school, going away to college, getting married, right? Having her first baby, all those sorts of things. Um, the the 10-year-old, we understand that there is that robbing of, of future potential. But really, at the end of the day, it's just kind of timing, right? If you want to be really cold and, again, a kind of inhumane arbitrariness, it's just timing, right? Um, in this passage... This life or death situation, right? There is, at the very beginning, a crisis, right? A life and death style crisis. And the sisters send a word to Jesus, right? They send a messenger to Jesus. Lord, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. Now, whatever sickness that Lazarus has, it's not just the flu it's not just the cold it is serious enough that these women mary and martha are calling jesus to return back to a place where there is a bounty on his head the jews had tried to stone him they've tried to kill him so they're saying lazarus or jesus the one whom you love you have to come back into this very dangerous situation to to heal him even though i know that you we are inviting you into very a lot of danger even death right you have the crisis now 
when the the women bring this word, right? The one you love is sick. Do you guys know what this is? What would we call this this little phrase right here? This is a great insight. Um, I'm going to quote Dale Bruner a, a lot this morning, and you guys know I've fallen in love with him as my favorite theologian, but this is simply a prayer, right? This is what we do in prayer, is where we go to Jesus on others' behalf, right? And we're going to do this in a second. That's why I say we kind of delayed, we delayed our prayer time this morning. Because when I stand here with my marker and we write the, these requests up on, on the board, right? I actually erased some a little bit ago. We were praying for Eli, right? We went to Jesus on Eli's behalf. Joe Lynn, we're still praying for your mom, the 19th on surgery? We're going to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. When we were praying for your missionary friends, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. That's what prayer is, is just going to God, going to Jesus on others' behalf, right? A real simple kind of version of prayer. Um, and, and when we think about this, this is, Bruner, oops, this is Bruner saying it. He says, perhaps John is suggesting that this is rather the best way to approach Jesus about any need, right? We all come into this room this morning with different needs. We frequently don't, we don't even know what we should exactly ask, lest we presume overreach or underreach. But we can learn from this story that we may be sure that it is always enough and appropriate to simply share our deepest problem with him. In this sense, we have before us a model prayer and personal crisis. Lord, look, your dear friend is very sick. I thought this would be just a good moment. Um, I want to be a church that does this for other people that prays for other people. So let's take a moment in the middle of this and let's just pray. Who, who are we praying for? Who are we bringing? I'll, I'll give a, a quick one. My neighbor, Bill, um, uh, elderly gentleman, but the ambulance uh, kind of ambulance and the paramedics showed up on, on Friday afternoon as I was, you know, as I was doing this very sermon. And I was just, you know, kind of sitting on my front, front porch and, and watching the activity, but they, took him away and I was like Lord look my neighbor Bill is headed to the hospital he's sick I don't know if it was heart or you know kind of what I didn't ask his wife but yeah I'm just thinking about my, my neighbor Bill so let's let's just kind of throw some other names or, or people or, or crisis or suffering what else is out there for us I have a, an uncle his nickname is Spunk so Uncle Spunk is a um, good chance he passes very soon so for him for his family for my mom yeah his sister so yeah, yeah. who else if you close your eyes and you think man if I could get Jesus to turn his attention to somebody Lord look that one whom you love needs something it doesn't have to be sickness. It doesn't have to be a serious crisis, but it could just be. Our neighbor, Carol, just found out that she was diagnosed with breast cancer and is getting ready to said, I'm going to Disney World first and then we can start on my treatment. 
week my sister called and her mother-in-law has breast cancer, just got the news this week. Me? Um, her name is Trudy. I'm just going to put it up there too because I erased it this morning. But we're still praying for your mom, Jolene. We're still praying for her. Anyone else? Let's just take these to the Lord. Again, this is, this is a real simple, as Bruno says, I like how he phrased it, you know, in some senses we have before us a model prayer and personal crises, right? It's appropriate just to simply share our deepest problem with Jesus, right? And Lord, look. You see these names right here? We're not going to overreach. We're not going to underreach. These are the ones whom you love. These are the ones whom you love. Look at them this morning. Turn your gaze upon them. And may they see you. May they see you. Lord, look. So we have this prayer that the sisters bring to Jesus, right? They bring this word. And then we have this waiting period, right? Which I think we could do a whole nother sermon on, on waiting. And we get this, what we said at the very beginning, it just feels like bad timing by Jesus, right? Like Jesus, you know, we're, we're praying like all these people, Lord, look, and if we could, we would all do this, right? For all of these things, we would all snap our fingers or within, or within maybe a week or two or, or whatever, we would kind of make that happen, right? So we have the crisis, we have the prayer, we have the waiting. Jesus takes his time. He's in no hurry. He kind of sits where he's at for another two days. He kind of takes his time. And then when he finally makes it to go visit Lazarus, right, we have, um, we have Martha coming with a different kind of prayer this time, right? So this time Martha comes, um, and she has what I would call criticism, right? And then she has confidence and competence in Jesus, right? So this is verse 21 and 22 if you're looking in, in the scriptures. So she comes out and she says, what is she, does anybody want to read 21 to me? She says what? If you would have been there, Jesus. Right? Jesus, if you would have been on time, if you would have come, and it's not like she's, you know, like, hey, no big deal. It's all right. You know, Lazarus is already dead. Don't worry about it. You can go back to what you were doing. You're, I'm sure you were busy, right? 
She's like, Jesus, if you would have been here, and we've all done that. We've all shaken our fists at God and said, where were you? I was waiting for you, right? And so she has a criticism, but then she has that, that kind of confidence in his competence, in Jesus' competence, where she says, you know, whatever, whatever you ask God, he'll, he'll give it to you. It's, it's not a big deal. Like, I, I still have confidence in you. And this, by the way, this, this little piece right here, this is the entire, not everything in the Psalms, but this is pretty much a lot of the Psalms in a nutshell. It's shaking our fist at God, right? It's being critical of God, being critical of, and then at the same time, like holding those things in tension, right? Like, God, you, you should have been here. I was waiting for you. I was desperate for you. Yet I know, and I trust, and I believe in your goodness, right? So in this narrative... Um, I hope this slide is, this slide gets a little busy here at the end. But in this narrative, we have the crisis. Lazarus is sick. We have the prayer. We have the waiting. The waiting period, by the way, ends in, in death, right? It's, it's, it's not a very good waiting period. We have the criticism. We have the confidence. I put the happy ending, although happy ending, speaking of Disney World, <laughs> sounds a little bit Disney-esque, right? Or um, we'll use the word resurrection. I remember hearing a, a, um, a, a preacher talk about we live in one of the first cultures where a happy ending is the sign of an inferior art, right? So a lot of times you see in film and movies and books and different media, a happy ending is the sign of inferior art. It's not good art. It's not very good art. It's not in vogue right now artistically. But we have in this passage, we have a happy ending, right? Jesus goes to the grave. He, he calls Lazarus out. Lazarus comes and he's resurrected. What a moment to see that with, with, with um with Jesus, with Mary, with Martha, with all the people gathered around the disciples to see this, this resurrection moment, right? In this whole paradigm, right, in this whole kind of um, model that we're using, I would say that there's two things that we have control over, and I want to talk about these. I would say that we can control the prayer aspect of it, right? We can't control what's going to happen to us in life, right? The crisis that come our way we have no control over, right? We don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I think it's the day for me to have cancer. We don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I think it's about the season that I lose one of my family members. Crisis comes to us, all of us, regardless, stage of life, whatever. That's not in our control. We can't control how we pray, right? We don't have any control over the waiting. Again, we don't have the ability to look at these people and say, man, um, Trudy, cancer. Let's get rid of it, right? We don't have control over any of that waiting period. But then we have control also over, I would say, who we kind of put our confidence and our competence in. And I don't think I'll get to criticism this morning. That's a little bit of a side note. But we do have that, that, that control over who we put our confidence and competence in. So two things. Um, one, I want to talk about prayer for a second. Again, I, it was funny. I, I'm preparing a sermon. I'm thinking a resurrection sermon. Right? I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I'm thinking about Jesus, and I'm going to talk about... And Jesus is like, the Holy Spirit's like, no, no, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. And I was like, okay, that's what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about prayer, right? Um, prayer. We start off again in, in this verse in 11.5, where they, they have the crisis, Lazarus is sick, they send the word, and 11.5 says, now Jesus really did love, I love the way this is phrased here, this Martha... And this sister of hers, and this Lazarus, Jesus really did love these people. And I put this at the bottom, that we need to know that we are loved. 
here's a here's here's my challenge and this was a brand new thought for me i have never thought about this before in the history of my walk with the lord before you pray before you go to god with your needs five to ten seconds of just resting in the love of god before, we should have done it here too. Before we bring any of these words to God. Just resting in the love of God. Knowing that we are loved. We have used this icon of the Trinity over and over. Especially during our Trinity series. This is one of the most profound icons that I've ever experienced. Right? And again, by Andre Rublev. And this, this little square down here which they, they believe that there might have been a mirror glued on there or some sort of reflective piece, whereas you would encounter this icon, then you would see your face seated at the table with the Father and the Son and the Spirit in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That kind of idea that we are loved and we are welcomed to the table, right? Before we get into prayer, a moment to acknowledge the depth of the love that God has for us, right? I don't care if it's a, a mealtime. I've been like, I've just been practicing this all week long and it's been so helpful. I don't care if it's a mealtime prayer. You know, we kind of, especially young families, you kind of whip it off those mealtime prayers because everybody's hungry and <laughs> dinner's late or whatever. Even if it's a mealtime prayer, it could be the bedtime prayer. It could be on your knees praying for somebody. It could be just a quiet moment. It could be a breath prayer. But before you get into those prayers, in five to ten seconds, like we can all do that, right? Like just this. Whether it's, you know, imagining that you're sitting at this table with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Or just mentally kind of allowing his love to consume your thoughts, but to know that you are loved. Again, Bruner would say it like this. Often in tragedies, <laughs> I like this, just on, Jesus does not look very good. <clears throat> And this story will credit that understandable perception and its depression at several places in our chapter. Amidst a tragedy, disciples need every assurance of Jesus' love that they can possibly get. And what I would say is, when you incorporate this into prayer time, when you incorporate this into your conversations with God, this acknowledgement and this reflection and this, just, again, this pause of the assurance of God's love over you. You are creating a habit within your prayer time, within your life, that I don't think anybody in this room is going through a serious tragedy at the moment, but you are creating something within this moment that when the tragedy comes, you have the assurance, years and years and years, of repetitive assurance of Jesus' love over your life, that you are welcomed to the table. Wouldn't that change the way you would encounter a tragedy? That you would encounter suffering? That you would encounter any sort of pain or difficulty? So I would say that we have this habit that we that we create five to ten seconds before you pray. If you want to take something away from the sermon, five to ten seconds before you pray. You just sit in God's love. Whether it's that icon, whether it's something that you repeat to yourself. But it's a reminder that Jesus really did love this Dietra. Jesus really did love this Brian. Jesus really did love this Isan. Jesus really did love even our littlest guy over there, little Max, right? 
we have this assurance at every point that he loves us, right? So in prayer, that moment of, of just kind of resting in God. The second thing I was thinking about too is we get to our grand text this morning where Jesus says, and again, I was like, oh yeah, the resurrection, and we're going to talk about the resurrection, and we're going to think about the resurrection, and we're going to give the Easter sermon. Jesus talks about, he says this text, I am, right? Again, hearkening back to when God introduces himself in the Exodus, when he gives Moses his name, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, when we talk about resurrection, and we've done this over the years in different um, capacities, sometimes we've done it on this Easter Sunday, sometimes we've done it at other places. How many people completely understand the resurrection? That was, I think, I think what I meant to, I think I might have phrased that. Nobody completely understands the resurrection, right? Like, we have an idea about the resurrection. We kind of, we kind of have like, I would say that it's, it's looking out to a horizon, right? In which we can kind of have an image. But the resurrection in itself, even for me as a pastor, even for me as somebody who's studied it and who's learned and who's tried to understand it, it can be confusing. It can be vague. It, there's uncertainties around it. Well, how does this work? And what about that? And does this, does Jesus mean this over here? And what does he, even this statement right here, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, even the, will live even though he dies. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Even this statement is like, is like volumes of, of, of comment. Like, how do we even understand resurrection, life, death, belief, all those sorts of things, the I am's, right? Even this statement. Now, imagine you're encountering Jesus comes to Martha, right? And this is like what he says to her, right? He says this. And Martha, we know at the moment, is she's mourning the death of her brother. She's just been critical of Jesus, right? Jesus, you should have been here. She's confused. She's complaining. She has some sort of confidence in Jesus, right? All of this rolled up into one thing. And Jesus gives her this statement and he says, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in me as the resurrection? Right? Now, again, Bruner says it's so great here in his commentary. Where he says, Martha doesn't say she believes this. Which is Jesus' question. Do you believe this? But she says more honestly she believes him. Yes, Lord. I have come to believe you are the Messiah. The Son of God. The one who is coming into the world. Right? Who can believe something they barely understand? Like Jesus has just pronounced, I am, with its mysteriously doubled promise in verses 25 through 26, right? You can live and never die, you can die, and, or you can live and live forever. Believing Jesus, on the other hand, is something else, and it is enough. Martha can do that. And I would add, to this church, you can do that, right? And I know that the, the resurrection, as we think about it, as we've tried to understand it, as we've tried to explain it, we, we, we can squint to the horizon of that day when Jesus makes all things new of what the resurrection, not only of Jesus's resurrection, but the ultimate resurrection. We are all resurrected. We are all brought back to life in the presence of God. And we can squint towards that 
we can kind of understand that when Jesus came back from the grave, what he did and how he beat sin and how he beat death. And, and we can, but we can all just simply as Martha does, right? Just honestly say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. I don't know what everything's going to work out in. I don't know the cosmic implication of what you did during the resurrection. I have a vague idea. I have a, I have a general idea. But I can just trust in you. Right? So, we see prayer as just kind of knowing that we are loved. We see prayer as really just kind of a, a real personal, just coming to Jesus and saying, yeah, I, I'm just going to trust you. Right? Lord, look. Right? So, we, we have Jesus. And then the last thing that I would say is the voice of Jesus, right? At the very end, um, 43 and 44, when he had said this, I I like this translation, he roared with a great voice. I mean, obviously we think about a lion, we think about a lion, like Jesus has a lion. He roared with a great voice, Lazarus, come out of there. The dead man did come out of there, bound, head and foot, with strips of linen. And then Jesus says to them, unwrap him and let him go. Um, as we talk about prayer, and we think about prayer, we've spent a lot of the morning thinking about how we express our prayers to God. Right? A real simple prayer, Lord, look, here's the folks who we're praying for. Right? As we express our prayers to God, a very personal encounter with Jesus. We just trust in Jesus, right? But I would say that equally, and I would even say this, I will say this is far more important than you expressing your, you expressing your words to God, is allowing God to express his words to us, right? You hear me pray this again and again and again. What's my prayer for you guys? That you would hear God's voice and respond appropriately. That you would come to understand and listen to the voice of God who so desperately wants to speak and talk to you. We see in this passage, this immovable object meets and meets an, an irresistible force. Death meets Christ. And the word of Christ and the depth of death in mortal combat and the word of the Lord conquers or triumphs Christ conquers he he lets out this great roar and somebody who was dead is now walking out of the tomb and I know you've heard me say this before and I picked this up from from my friend Adam when Jesus speaks reality rushes to make his words true reality itself conforms itself to what Jesus declares and decrees. And this is why I would say again and again and again why it's so important for us to again not only just to think about the love that God has for us to express our prayers to God, Lord, look, this person, that situation, those sorts of things, but then just to allow God to speak to us because when God speaks to us, when God speaks, when Jesus speaks, reality is then rushing to make what God speaks true. Right? It conforms itself to the words of Jesus. Now, 
This passage, this whole passage that we've read this morning, serves in miniature, right? This passage serves in miniature the whole narrative of human history, right? The world that we live in, that we are existing in at the moment, that has always existed, is sick, it's broken, it's in pain, it's in crisis. The world that we live in is in death, right? That's the world that we live in. And we say, Lord, look, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So we say, Lord, look, the one whom you love is sick. This world whom you love is sick. That's why we pray. That's why we call God whom you love is sick. That's our prayer. And then we are simply waiting, right? We are waiting knowing that the resurrection has has taken place but the great resurrection is yet to come in the middle of this this narrative that we're all experiencing we are waiting for god to heal that whole world and it's tough to wait isn't it i mean we really see a lot of the suffering the pain um i don't mean i mean obviously we see the, the the war that's taken so much um space in news media not only the war in ukraine the war that's happening in Yemen, the war that's happening in Ethiopia, all over the world, the pain, the suffering, the hurt. And we say, God, look, right? The one whom you love is, is broken. And then Jesus comes and he says, but I am the resurrection and the life. I will bring all things back to life. And then Jesus whispers into our ears, right? Jesus whispers into our ears and he just allows us and asks us to believe in this, to trust in him, right? To trust in him. Let's close. That's it. I mean, we, we just have a moment to just think, do we really believe this? Do we really hold fast to this? Or do we just come here to kind of punch the clock and, and get on to our business? The challenge is really to take this and then allow it to sink into our hearts, to change us from the inside out. Let me close this in a word of prayer. And before we do this, right? Before we pray, We'll take a moment. Just think about how loved we are by the Father. You love us. You really do. And you risk you risked everything to come to us. You came to die. You came to be resurrected. In some senses, what we have during your resurrection was it was the first fruit. It was just the beginning. It was just the opening. But now we wait. Now we wait. If someone this morning is going through that, that difficult period of waiting, may they know how much you love them. May they put their confidence in Jesus, just their trust, their belief, Sometimes a lot of the words that get said around Jesus can be confusing. They can be, um, they can be controversial. They can be different things. 
But at the end of the day, maybe the, the folks sitting in this room just kind of look to you and say, yeah, I can trust you. Just like Martha did. I can trust you. I can believe in you. And we wait for that glorious day. The resurrection, the renewal, the restore, the restoration of all things, our whole world. No more tears, no more death, no more wars, no more violence, no more awkward distances between people of different races, no more greed, no more people being exploited. We wait. We wait on your timing. Lord, in, in the midst of while we wait too, strengthen us too, we ask that, because I know that a lot of us just need that extra strength to wait on you. If people are in here are depressed, if they're angry, if they're frustrated, strengthen them this morning, Lord. Strengthen them through the power of your Holy Spirit that only you can do. Strengthen them with a voice, a word, from you this morning. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, we'll sing a couple songs this morning, and, and as we do that, uh, the Eucharist is is something that God gives us, that Jesus gave us, that's that's physical and tangible um, that we get to take upon and we get to eat and consume uh, as we wait knowing that he has a covenant that will be renewed, that will be restored knowing that his body was broken for us, that he became the Lazarus and died so that we could then live forever with him and we believe that, we trust that and the Eucharist is just another confirmation of when we see that statement, do you believe this? We come to the Eucharist and we say, I do. I do. I believe that. I believe that one day you will make and restore and make things all right. So at some point, if you take the Eucharist uh, with yourself, with your family, with those around you, your friends, um, you take that Eucharist in the confidence of what is yet to come. So.
Thank you.